Welcome to Slayer Fest 98. I'm your host, Ian Carlos Crawford. And I'm your other host, Matthew Rodriguez. And we are so happy to have with us today two amazing guests who are full-time Scoobies. We have um, senior writer at The Decider, Joe Reed. Hello. And we have a contributing editor from Fangirls, Carly Lane. Hi. Yay. (sighs) And today we're here to discuss the season four. We're going to do our season four recap. Yes, there's so much to talk about. Yeah, I... So clearly a thing that we all would want to discuss is Riley. Yes, Um, we're dying to talk about (laughs) Riley. I love that that's the first thing you have to talk about. Because I feel like that's like the, the like... Because I feel like Willow and Tara are a big deal, but they are a big deal longer. Like, you know, Riley leaves pretty early in season five. Yeah, we only have so much time to talk about yeah. Riley. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because he has such a like huge place in the Buffy discourse in terms of like how often people end up discussing him. But you're right. He's only around for essentially one season's worth of episodes. Yeah, yeah. Carly and I were talking before we recorded. We both have the book slayers and vampires it's like an oral history of buffy they kind of talked how they immediately knew that riley was a failure oh wow um right carly it's like yeah like so they talked to david fury and marnie Knoxon, who took over she kind of took over as like joss's right hand yeah. when um was it greenwald who left to do angel yes yeah um so she was like brought up through the ranks and, I, and it seems like reading this, because I read this earlier this afternoon, like one of the things that she kind of led the charge on was Riley. And like they said that Mark uh, Lucas was like her casting pick and all this stuff. But then they're really, they were like, obviously, um, we it became clear that the fans were not responding the way that we wanted to. <laughs> um, and the chemistry wasn't there. I was like, oh, that's harsh. I remember even at the time that maybe it wasn't around four, but like by the time season six happened and the whole Spike storyline had really crested, that like Marty got a lot of shit from the fans, from certain corners of the fans, about essentially being like the bad boyfriend writer who like kept bringing in these sort of ill suited or like, you know, traumatic boyfriend moments for. Buffy and I just remember and Marty took a lot of shit in general for like when Joss left to do uh, Firefly and 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 Angel and all of this sort of stuff that kept him away and when the show kind of veered off in certain unpleasant directions Um, but I remember specifically being like wow she brought in Riley and then she like uh, like masterminded the whole like angry fucking Spike storyline and it was just like oh nobody Nobody liked either one of those things. <laughs> well, she's quoted in the book as saying, this is like reads so rough to me. He's a fine actor and a great looking guy. But if you're a little twisted like me, it didn't get interesting until he was cheating on her, basically, and going to the dark side of town and getting bitten. Um, and then she goes on to say, he's really fine in dramatic scenes. And then her last quote about him is, he did a tremendously fine job and if there was ever any problem with that character, it was the fault of the writers and not him. But, like, the fact that she continually says, fine, is like, ugh. Well, and also just sort of, like, aggressively falling on uh, her sword for it also makes it feel just, like, protesting too much a little bit. And, I, I yes. mean, 
we've seen Mark Lucas and other things. He's not a bad actor, but he's not great. And there are limitations that I mean, listen, David Boreanaz ain't anything to write home about that's, either. But like, <laughs> but he's been on TV for the better part of twenty years because he has a quality. And yeah. I, there, you know, there are these ephemeral things with TV sometimes. And I mean, that character was behind the eight ball to begin with anyway the classic rebound guy although even though parker was supposedly the rebound guy but like yeah the fans weren't ready to rebound yet no and like i i do think they falter a little bit like they keep calling they call him captain america a lot and like now that we actually have a really great captain america on screen i'm like riley wishes <laughs> right you were captain america <laughs> yeah. right right <laughs> Well, like Riley was, you know, and then they called him like a Boy Scout too. I remember in the in the book. Yeah. And and you know he was. I, they start off with him being like this Midwest guy, you know, corn fed, you know, family, you know, yeah. close to his family or whatever. And then it it seems like when when you read Marty's quotes about it, she was like, well. For me personally, he didn't get more interesting until he got fucked up, like and dark. And I almost feel like she was. Because of what we know now and how dark the like Spike Buffy relationship got in season six on, yeah, she was almost using Riley to like test out what would happen if Buffy like was in a fucked up relationship, you know, where yeah. somebody was kind of going to a dark place. And I don't know. It just the other thing though I kind of have problems with is like dark doesn't always mean more interesting or right. um, more more dimensional. And I think they Zach were just Snyder kidding. told us that. <laughs> <laughs> dark grim dark like we don't need grim dark riley because he's not i think they were hoping that it would make him a more interesting character to make him grim dark riley and it just didn't work like yeah. even, even when he comes back in what season six when he's married and yeah. like has been fighting in where is it costa rica or something yeah um it's it's i like i only really like that episode because it's more like the awkwardness of running into your ex yes. after and you're and also Buffy's in a really crappy place because she's working at the double meet and everything. But um, I don't know. I, I feel like, I think like we were saying before we started recording, he had an uphill battle and Christian Kane has this quote in the book about how they could have cast Brad Pitt, but like the fans would have hated anybody after yeah. Angel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. It's true. But you do wonder, it's a good point about like just the fact that like making him darker doesn't make him more interesting. And there are ways to have taken that character even after the initiative went down that could have remained interesting where like he is this sort of like Midwestern boy. He's also this like, you know, for good or ill has been in this military sort of setting for a while. So like he could have been the overly, you know, overly credulous about authority guy you know what i mean like during the whole watchers council stuff how interesting would that have been to have somebody on buffy's side who's like buffy they're in charge you have to listen to them like that's the way it works right and like that's conflict one of the problems and and as everyone knows i kind of love season four but one of the problems with it is that it does like pick threads up and drop them really fast yeah Mm -hmm. and if it had chosen a thread to go through and explored it with riley i think it could have worked because For me, season four, obviously, being, like, the college season is about identity and, like, who you are. And I think that Riley, in a lot of ways, fits in with that theme because he is the Midwestern guy who's so naive about the world. And then he's also a soldier. And one of the things about being a soldier is that you kind of lose your identity to the collective unit. You know, like, you're not a person. And Riley 
in a way throughout the season by like Buffy is the opposite. It's like Buffy through his relationship with Buffy, he kind of starts to learn about the world. We get the whole like bigot subplot moment where it's like, you go from dating a vampire to someone who's basically a bigot against the supernatural. And I feel like there are ways that they could have gone further into like Riley learning about the world, but they kind of resisted what what could have been an interesting way to talk about going from being under like authoritarianness to the Buffy, Scooby more communitarian view on uh, yeah. the supernatural. Yeah, um, I mean, I do, th- like, we've said this so many times, but I think Riley does try to learn to get outside of his, like, toxic masculinity box. Even, I would say, more so than Xander does. But it's like they'll show us hints of him trying to learn, but then it's the next episode he's back to being you know, Mr. Macho Army Dude. Um, And it would have been more interesting to see him be pushed further in that, you know? Like, I mean, there's so many times when we get him saying, no, I like that you're the Slayer, but, like, realistically, he doesn't want her to be a Mm superpowered. Like, he he wants to be, like, quote-unquote, the, like, man or whatever. Right, and that was one of the... I feel like that, for me, was one of the aspects of their relationship that I wish the show had delved into more was the fact that he always felt inadequate next to her. Yeah. Because he was outmatched in so many ways. And they never really leaned into it. Like, he's really the only guy that she ever dates in the show for a, for a longer period of time that is inferior. I mean, everybody else that she's in a, in a relationship with is a supernatural yeah. right. know, a vampire or whatever. Um, but, you know, like, like Matthew was saying, like, they have all these threads that they just drop. Like, the fact that the initiative has been drugging their soldiers... Yeah, And he kind of goes through a withdrawal period, but then it's not really talked about after that. You know, we never really see him, aside from, like, I guess, coping by going to get bit or something. But they never really say, like, oh, what are the physical ramifications for long term? You know, he's been drugged to basically be stronger and faster than a normal human. But the, the show never really got into, like, any of the physical long term effects other than he kind of goes through withdrawal and has you know, issues for an episode or two and then is is okay, seemingly. Yeah, you get the sense that the writers, the the interest in writing for Riley varied wildly between the writers and mm-hmm. it's so inconsistent as the season goes along and as a result, he, unless you really needed him to be there, they sort of, he was sort of uh, perfunctory in a lot of those episodes. And then by the time you get to season five, where we're past the initiative and things could get a little bit more interesting, the show has seemingly already decided he's on the way out and they are sent, they're not really including him in anything except for the steps towards how he will eventually leave. Like they don't right, ever right, really yeah. find ways of like, where does Riley exist in this world where Dawn exists? Where does Riley exist in this world where like glory is going to become a big, huge thing. And they didn't need to do that because they knew he wasn't going to be around for very long. And I mean, He's never been my favorite character, but I do feel a little bit of like opportunity loss there where it's like they could have done something, some sort of halfway interesting things instead of, you know, playing the waiting game for whenever they were going to throw this Spike Buffy thing into, yeah. you know, into gear. I, t- I totally agree with that. I think that there's so many really cool unexplored threads with with Riley because at this point like one of the things about the show is that you just have to accept that everyone that you all the characters you know know about the supernatural and I guess Riley does too but 
um, he knows about it in a different way in a very like aggressive, like every every supernatural thing is the enemy way. Hammer and, and nail, yeah. Worldview. And then when you have to like put him into the Scoobies, there's an obvious like chance for growth and learning. And like that is what TV characters are about. Like it's the reason we spend seasons with people because they're supposed to grow and change. Right. And that's what we love about these characters on the show is that they do grow and change, but he doesn't really quite. <laughs> I mean, in season six, I mean, you mentioned it, Carly. I think it's one of his better appearances. I think you're right. He still mm-hmm. isn't quite there. And the episode definitely works because he's her ex and it's just awkward because it's awkward. Um, and everyone can understand running into an ex that it's like, oh, what do we have to talk about? And then it's like, you feel self-conscious, whatever. Um but he is at least a little bit, or he seems a little bit more stable in his relationship. Like, yeah. I, I feel like Riley weirdly I don't has... know, I think, I think it's my favorite Riley episode, honestly, is that one oh, in yeah? season six where he comes back. I just... I yeah, just, I think so too. I like the dynamic when they're not trying to force him and Sarah together romantically, you know, yeah. when they can kind of play off each other and it's like, they. I feel like they had a good, they have a good chemistry when they can kind of like you know there's a past connection but they're not interested in rekindling anything yes um and he's married and you know she's she's doing whatever with spike at this point um and he's the, his, but, at his most tender with her it seems in those yeah in and like he and he's kind of gotten past i think you know i think if anything it shows he's kind of like he reacts a little bit poorly obviously defining her with spike but Think about when he yeah. think about where he was when he last left. Yeah, I mean it's understandable. And then he seems like he kind of has lost a little bit of that judginess that he used to have. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they and they part on relatively good terms. So I think that's like kind of the best ending that you could get. Really, considering how you know, I don't know, considering. Yeah, no the I, lack of attention that was given. I I totally to I totally agree with that. Five. Yeah. Um. And there's actually a part in the book, which I feel like, because I, I mean, we've mentioned this and, you know, they cast Amber Benson as Tara and originally they had like a different v- like vision for her. Um, I think it was you that said it on the podcast, wasn't it, Joe? Was it? That originally they wanted a character that was more like Kennedy, but then they really liked Amber Benson. So they made her oh, Tara. That doesn't sound like something like I would say, but that's interesting. <laughs> um, but... They talked about, and I feel like maybe that could have been part of Mark Blutus, like, his charm. And they just, maybe, like, it was everyone fell flat, because Camden Toy is in this book, and he's interviewed, and he says, his quote is, Only Mark Blutus would say, hey, how's it going? Great to have you guys on board. Everybody else was scared of us. Amber Benson's mother told us to leave her alone because she was really scared by us. Wait, who said that? Um, oh, one of the guys who plays the, the gentleman. gentleman yeah. Hush. Oh! <laughs> um, and I feel like that makes sense that Riley... the the actor playing Riley would, because Riley would probably be that guy too, who's like, yeah, hey, how's sure. it going? Like, you know. Right. But so, still on the initiative, I wanted to point out that there's a quote from Joss Whedon that specifically says what happened with Maggie Walsh. Oh, I want to hear it. He says, a lot of our great shocks come from things we can't control. We were basically told by Lindsay Krause's agent she had to be done shooting by Christmas. And that was what made them... So given the situation, we decided to do it abruptly, and that charmed the hell out of me. It's always fun to do something a little startling. So I guess that's what happened. I guess they probably hired... I guess the context of his quote tells me... That's sort of how I remember hearing about it, too, at the time. Tells me that, like, they hired her, and then they found out that she had to be done by Christmas, right? 
which could have also been her sort of like ending up in a project she didn't really super love and being like, hey, let's get me out of this somehow. Although it's interesting that she comes back for uh, Primeval. It really is. <laughs> and just, I still it, don't it, believe that's her. I mean, it very well might not be. She doesn't ever really speak in any kind of recognizable voice. Because it's so. insane to leave a show abruptly and come back as a zombie version of yourself and say one line. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, oh. But I thought that was like kind of interesting. And then David Fury says... I don't know if Josh Joss has said this, but she but Maggie Walsh is at least partly inspired by his own mother. His Ooh. mother was a college professor. She was a very big feminist. She was very strong willed. She had a huge impact on Joss's life, which is kind of weird, right? I mean, that's a lot of there's a lot of Oedipal stuff going on in the Maggie Walsh storyline in general. So yeah. Yeah. That's really yeah. interesting. <laughs> it's really weird to base your mother on that character. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh boy. Well, <laughs> yeah. Mean... That the 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 wrap up to the initiative storyline. It's a good episode in that I like any episode that brings the four yeah. core characters together in that kind of elemental way. I was thinking that more of the finales than not sort of make that the an important part as just sort of like the Slayer sort of gathering forces around her, whether it's graduation day or this, or even the way that like everybody has like a skill to contribute at the end of the gift. Um, and then obviously at the end of season six, Xander and Willow, you know, save the day with the power of friendship and such. Um, <laughs> but the actual sort of initiativeness of it in that they like, they run through very quickly this idea that all of, Riley's friends are becoming these like Dr. Moreau monsters <laughs> and it all just feels very rushed and like that's fine because maybe you want you know the idea for Restless maybe didn't come up and you know yeah, yeah. until towards the end and I'd much rather have Restless than a more thought out end to the initiative just like fine just like end it get it get it out of the way um but it's interesting that they leave things on a note of like the government and the military is well aware of the slayer and yet like we never hear anything about that again really except yes. for that one little part where riley does come back that and when uh spike's trying to get the when the chip starts malfunctioning and and they go back don't they go back and was yeah. it yeah. six or seven they go back seven. underground yeah oh, those are trying. two separate episodes okay yeah. i always sort of conflate those together because it's yeah. that's the buffy and spike go to the initiative they find out they didn't fill it with cement and that's the episode where it's like Anya, Andrew, uh, Xander, and maybe Willow. I don't even think Willow go to find out if Giles is the first or not. God, that's right. Yes, yeah. you're right. Season seven's so weird. But, I can't wait to talk about that. <laughs> I want to get back to talking about season four. Yeah. <laughs> Thank so, you. Um, and I do want to talk about what we think, because I think this is a good way to get on track and talk about each of the characters, is what we think the major theme of the season is. Um... And I would just love to hear from everyone, like what you think the major theme, what you what you think that like they were trying to explore the most. I like, mean, it's I, that it's the it's the separation anxiety of college, right? It's you so are. I think go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. Well, no, you no, you 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 seem to have a more clear idea than than I do at this point. Well, I was thinking that it, I just feel like each character except Buffy um, was dealing with like identity issues of who they are, and that is something that comes up in your first year of college because it's your first time away from home and you have to kind of like figure out who you are. And I think 
And I think that that's ultimately reflected like in a big bad who's trying to find out who he is also. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that is. Um, so I'm, I'm going to read some more Joss quotes because he actually addresses that specifically, that question you just asked, Matthew. Um, he says, season four was about how do you keep the group together without being sort of 90210 about it and believably. The answer is you don't. By season four, we were into a mission statement. Season two was Spike and Drew. Then we realized we were doing the angel thing. Then that became the season. Season three, we knew we were doing the faith thing and, and graduation, and there was going to be some growing up. We didn't come into a real mission statement, real mission statements until season four because things were so different. Um, and he says, like, Giles was fired and completely at loose ends. The man had a sombrero on, for God's sakes. And the group kind of had gotten torn apart. And, and all that to add all that to let's play our James Bond fantasies. Um, and he says, that's pretty much season four. Let's have cool night vision goggles. Of course, with our budget, we had like three walls and a shrub, but it was cool in our minds. <laughs> um, I feel like he very much knows that they needed a mission statement. They didn't quite get it, but I, I do think while I think other seasons did it better, I think growing pains is kind of the like theme um, you know, because everyone has those friends that you loved and you were so close with, and then after high school or after college, you just kind of drifted and not even like, oh, I hate them. It's just like, oh, you drifted, you know? Um, yeah. Well, I think the other interesting thing is like, no one really, like no one's entire friend group stays the same from high school to college. So it's almost like very artificial to have the same friend group, you know, your first freshman year in college. So I think they were dealing with that. You know? Yes, except I think even in that statement you hear uh, in the quote that, that Ian just read, that I think Joss is maybe overthinking it a little bit or, or, or trying a little bit too hard to avoid the sort of 90210 trope as he sort of lays it out. Because ultimately, the fact is, unless you were planning on truly overhauling your cast, you are going to have to keep this group together. And that's just right. sort of how it's going to be. And the idea of sort of putting these four through this often unpleasant crucible of first year of college sort of threatening to rip them apart only for them to come back together. Like I get it, but it does feel a little heavy handed at parts by the time you get to like the Yoko factor. And it's just like, we have really been torn apart by this year of college. And it's like season five, which does have, you know, family seems to be the big theme of season five, but like it feels less, heavy-handed and i think the season is better for it. and then you go into season six and season six feels heavier again where it's just sort of like depression and and addiction and it's like okay um well so i want i sorry no, go ahead. well based on what you're saying it's interesting because like they're talking about the group being torn apart but like nothing really happened to tear the group apart no one like actively like fucked someone else's man or something or like <laughs> they right. literally just like each got a partner that was outside the group and spent more time with that partner and like the whole thing yeah. could have been solved if they had just invited Buffy to card night <laughs> well and it's sort of hard to sell the idea of like Xander doesn't go to school so he's separate and it's like yes except the there's an episode every week so of course like Xander is involved in some way so it's hard to for the audience to really feel that kind of separation that you want them to feel when it's just like, yeah, like Giles doesn't have a job, but he's basically doing kind of the same thing he's always done <laughs> just from a different vantage point, just from a different perch. And it's, I don't know. It, it feels like 
there's a lot of stuff that Joss sort of thought that they should be doing this season that that doesn't feel like it's executed in the way that maybe he wants it to be because there are limitations when you have a television show where like right unless you wanted you, like I said unless you really wanted to like fire Anthony Stewart head and just be <laughs> like you know like things are changing ultimately things can only change so much when you're a TV show right 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 like I feel like I was just going to say, I feel like when the show really succeeded was, wasn't so much an omission statement. It was more like, how can we take a, a common dilemma, a teen dilemma, you know, young adult dilemma that people have and like put a Buffy spin on it. So like for season four, it was, and you know, dealing with a roommate, new roommate, but like yep. the roommate's a demon or, yeah. um, you know, the willow sexuality, like magic metaphor. I, I just, I think there's more like themes that, that, that perform well in season four rather than like, we're going to have a mission statement that's, you know, yeah. encompasses the entire, in the entire narrative. Even yeah, to yeah. the point where like this year's girl and who are you plays on this idea of, Oh my God, I haven't been spending time at home with my mom. You know, will she ever recognize me mm-hmm. if I go back home again? And yeah. it's like that kind of stuff where like, it works really well in micro and mm-hmm. it works a little bit less well in something like beer bad, where you're just sort of like college alcohol, like that kind of thing. So maybe we can go through like each character's kind of arc and talk about kind of what they went through and how they changed. And if we thought it was genuine, would you rather start with, let's take a poll. Would you rather start with Buffy and then go down or would you rather start with Oz and then go up? I say go up. Yeah. Yeah, Let's do bottom up. Okay. So let's start (laughs) with Oz who's here for nine episodes. (laughs) This is such a sad arc for Oz. Uh... That's another, it's almost like what I was talking about with Riley in season five and like the writing was already kind of on the wall a little bit. So it's just like, we're just sort of, waiting to give him his exit scenario mm-hmm. yeah i, I do well, carly go ahead e. no, you oh go. no um well and it's funny talking about oz because the last episode i was on for season four was the fear itself episode which really foreshadows oz leaving because willow has uh you know her yeah. biggest fear and not is not just her magic you know becoming too much for her to control but it's also oz leaving um and then what is it an episode later that we figured out two episodes that he actually does leave the show. Um, yeah. Yeah. But you know, it's interesting that this, that the show from the very beginning kind of established him as like, he's the you know big man on campus. He has all these friends outside the Scoobies, you know, it's everyone else that's kind of at a loss. And then it's those it's those outside connections that they use to, you know, with the whole Veruca storyline that they kind that the show kind of used to like drive a wedge between him and Willow. And then ultimately the rest of the group in order to write him off. Yeah. I, cause I, I do like, I mean, I do like his episodes. I, I think Oz was a good character. I, I think he definitely, I, I mean, I'm not sad that he left because we got Willow and Tara, Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, it felt like those beginning episodes, it felt weird. It was like, oh, look, well, Oz is already popular. There's no college isn't an issue for him. And well, now he's gone. Um, no, you forgot the three or four episodes where he just looked longingly at characters who we didn't know who they were at first. And <laughs> it felt like that happened. It's just like that was his entire arc up until Wild at Heart was just sort of like passing someone in the quad and staring at them. Why? What's going on? What's the connection? And I would have okay. loved an actual Veruca arc, not just like 
you know. Oh, come... totally. I think we talked about it a while, yeah. Heart, how great it would have been to see Veruca as a character for like three episodes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that would have. Happens. That would have totally Sorry, worked. Because I loved her scenes with Willow, and there was so much tension between yeah. them, and they were so different, and I feel like it would have been nice to have it over a few episodes. Yeah, agreed. Um, Do we think she's the least liked character in the entire history of Buffy the Vampire Slayer? I no. think Kennedy is. I feel, oh, <laughs> really? You think she's, she's Kennedy is even more hated than Veruca? I, That's yeah, a lot. I, I think I might if have been If anything, I think people appreciate that Veruca led to Tara. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. And that's she wasn't, like, point. around enough to be hated as much. Yeah. Although, listen, my unpopular opinion is I am a Kennedy apologist. I think Kennedy also serves the you same purpose be. Riley does. Anyway, continue. We're getting back to season four. <laughs> Brat solidarity. <laughs> yeah, duh. <laughs> um, so... We want to talk about Spike next. We should talk about Spike. And um, well, yeah, actually, I do have Spike next because the next person was Riley, but we're not talking about him anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, we're done. So we're skipping Riley and we're going to Spike. This um, is easily my favorite Spike season. I really, really loved Spike all oh, through really? this year. He's so funny. Like he gets to be just fun and funny and like an antagonist to the group in a way that it never it didn't seem. Like, then why are you around them? Like, you sort of got at least why he had to hang around because he was helpless and these people sort of were, you know, protecting him a little bit. And and yet, like, he truly does hate them all and they truly all do hate him. Well, and, I, I, it's so funny that you say he's so great in the season because I never really thought about it until now. But, like, because season seven Spike is so terrible. Awful. True. Like, he can't fight, like, a cockroach and win. And, like, yeah. it's he's just so, like, you know, sad. Yeah. And this is the only time where James Marshall just looks like he's having the time of his life playing this character. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And, like, and everything from uh, early on season five and forward, once he starts getting moony about Buffy, I, like, I don't need it. I don't want it. And, yeah. like, this is purely just exploring all of the comedic possibilities with Spike and... In a lot of like fun different ways too, with like something blue, it's an interesting you know yeah. thing that they do with him, and they use him in Restless in some interesting ways. Certainly, uh, Yoko Factor is a good little uh, you know showcase for him. I don't know. I feel like it's it's easily easily my favorite Spike. Well, it's also I mean, so I've I was saying before that I feel like the theme of season four is identity, and it's very interesting the way that they. Um, bring it in and in, in with Spike because it's basically saying like what happens when you take like one of the greatest killers known you know out there and just neuter him mm -hmm. and like the way that he becomes this kind of like free agent who's constantly shifting alliances to whoever can keep him alive and get the chip out of his head is like pure Spike like it's just survival tactics you know yeah. it's really it's really purely the character um, yeah I mean I feel like I was thinking about his character earlier today and it's one of those things where like he was he was such a big bad in season three and it's like well where do you go from there you either have to kill him off or you have to go in a completely different direction and in the book it was so interesting James Marster's talking about his arc in season four and how Joss was basically like we need a new Cordelia and apparently Sarah Michelle Geller was the one who said how about Spike yeah so like but then it's interesting because you read when you when he keeps talking about it, it he he kind of hated yeah. his character in season four, um, and then 
you know, he was like, they took away my cool. And then the whole time he said he was like, for the first few months of the season, he said he was worried he was going to get fired because he wasn't doing anything. But I think, I feel like the fans just loved him so much being kind of like the snarky person who just sits in the corner and is like, you're all going to, you're all going to die that he, you know, they kept him around. Um, but it's funny. Like he was worried that I guess if he, if he was neutered too much, then he would lose some of his, I don't know, some of his potency <laughs> for yeah. lack of a better term. And like, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like really giving him the chance to just be funny made him even, an even better character. Yeah. Carly, it's funny. I was like, ooh, I'm going to reply with these quotes. Because, yeah, <laughs> he he talks about how he didn't love playing Spike like that. Um, and Which thought, seems like such a guy thing. Like, right. not to make it all just, like, straight man boo, but, like, <laughs> but, Jesus Christ. Like, <laughs> seed your power for half a second. <laughs> but I thought this was actually a good... He said, I was having so much fun playing the big bad. I was so uncomfortable with them taking away my cool. But that's the only way to keep me alive in that universe and a lot of season four, though, especially in the beginning, it wasn't working. You'd see Spike come in in a burning blanket on fire. That was just to get me in the room with the Scooby gang so I could deliver the line, Buffy, you're stupid. We're all about to die. It was very cumbersome just to get me in the room. It took special effects and everyone was gagging from the fake smoke. I could tell this just couldn't go on that long. I was not going to be the new Cordelia. I thought, you know what? They gave me a chance. It's not my fault, but it's not going to happen. I'm probably going to get killed off. <laughs> And I thought that was, like, pretty funny that you were saying, Joe, that you could tell he enjoyed it, but he actually didn't, which is, I guess, a credit to his acting, right? Yeah, I mean, towards the end, I think he, like, yeah. later he says, you know, uh, where does he say? Oh, he says, um, uh, let's see, there was a point I was convinced it wasn't working and the character was not going to be able to last very long and that they were just cannibalizing him for cheap laughs before he was killed off. I was just in fear and paranoia, so it was horrible. It was all because of my own demons and my own weakness that I was in fear, but I was. I didn't share that with anybody. I was just thinking, this is it. I just didn't see it. It was wonderfully written and part of a great arc, and it was all perfect. I was just too scared to appreciate it fully. But that was a short amount of time, like a month or two. I'm an actor who loves his job. I'm the nerd on the set going, God, guys, isn't this fun? This is cool. Yeah. <laughs> so it sounds like he got over it yeah, after yeah. a while. But like, and there's there was definitely... That- there's definitely a point where it, it clicks in because I sort of get what he's talking about in those early episodes where, you know, the burning blanket, you know, episodes where it's just sort of like, why is Spike here? But I think right around, I honestly think it's right around Pangs where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, like that, he's he does kind of fit into the group and he helps exacerbate the things that Joss wants to talk about in terms of the other characters feeling isolated, yeah. where it's just like, it does feel like there were a lot of episodes where Xander was just on like spike babysitting duty. And it's just mm-hmm. like, yeah, I can see why that wouldn't, you know, would annoy him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. totally. Uh, yeah. He, <laughs> the other thing he points out, which I, I appreciate as someone who's very self-conscious about his hair is that he talks about how he had to figure out how to do the migraine without messing up his hair. Um, <laughs> and he stole a page from William Shatner's book. So he would put his like knuckles to his forehead without touching his hair. Cause, but which is true. If he messed up his hair, that would be, they'd have to reset it. Yeah. So, um, but I do like spike in this season. Uh, I do appreciate his like shitty relationship with harmony. I think harmony is a delight, even though yeah. she's like such an asshole. Like I enjoy watching her. I think Mercedes McNabb is like a really great like presence. Mm hmm. Um, 
you know, and it's crazy how often they lucked out with these one-off, these, like, actors they hired for, like, some, like, nothing role, and then they're like, oh, we can bring them back, and they're actually, like, a good actor. Let's keep them around. Yeah, it really is something. They really do work wonders with those sort of happy accident characters, almost. Yeah. Harmony and Restless is so funny to me in that scene, in that Death of a Salesman scene. Oh, my God. Oh my God. He's just <laughs> trying to bite Giles on the neck, and he's just like, stop that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, um, yeah. I think I, I I appreciate Harmony and Spike. It's also crazy that Harmony is only in. I what did we do? What did we figure out? It's only three or four episodes of this entire yeah. season, but she feels like a bigger presence just because it's the most we've seen her do at that point. Yeah, um, and you know, and then she in season five, she's in more episodes, and then she comes back for the final season of Angel, which I think she's wonderful in. Um. She's yeah. only in that last season. That's so. That's another one where it's just like, oh no, she was on more than that. It's like, no, she wasn't. And she, I think that. she was in like two episodes on yeah. the whole show prior to that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who's who do we got next? Yeah, who we got next, Matt? Giles. Oh, Giles. Oh, Giles. He. I mean, I will say, I, I think the the episode that he's in, a new man where he turns into a demon, is like one of the best Giles episodes. Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, aside from that, he doesn't, he doesn't get a lot to do though. Even he has a couple really good funny moments and, but it doesn't, it's, he doesn't have an episode like a helpless or anything like that. Um, but the, the, um, which one of the, it's, it's who are you, right? The second half of the, of the faith two-parter where a, that scene with him and Faith as Buffy, where she's trying to yeah. convince him that she's Buffy, is so good. Yeah. And when she's like, what's a stevedore? And he's like, please stop. <laughs> um, but then also when he's trying to distract the cop and he's talking about the tiny, tiny babies, right. it's so <laughs> funny. And yeah. like, so that's like a lot of that. It's There's a lot of sort of loose ends that don't really go anywhere. Obviously, like Olivia is a lost opportunity character yeah. who, you know, sort of dissipates and goes away. And... I guess they sell the whole like, oh, he's, you know, drunk in his apartment and wearing a sombrero and yada, 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 like nothing to do. Poor Giles, um, as well as anything. But it doesn't add to much for this season, at least, other than like explaining why he goes away, why he keeps trying to go away in seasons five and six. Yeah, I mean, this is Giles' midlife crisis season. Yeah. Um, you know, we get him playing in the bar and where the wild things are and like. Yeah. You no, know, and then the um I mean like what's another Oh, he keeps moment? trying oh, to he, sing, doesn't he? Yeah. He does keep... <laughs> Not that he's not a good singer, he's a lovely singer, but like Giles the character sort of is just like, man, I'm going to I'm going to do my, you know, moody Roger Daltrey thing or something. I don't know. Yeah. His job is basically just to be in his apartment when one of the Scooby Gang barges in and needs to talk or needs something looked up in yeah. a book. Yeah, I I, I... Where is he paying for that apartment, by the way, now that he's not working anymore? I think he just owns it. Like, isn't it like a condo that maybe he owns? Good for him. Didn't he get... <laughs> oh, no, I that's... can't imagine the Watchers Council's paying a pension on him or anything like that. Like, that relationship ended pretty poorly. I was about to say, didn't they, didn't they like, pay him, like, retroactively? But that's season five when he gets... Yeah. Right. Buffy gets him his money, yeah. That's he has that's to be, like, un- freelance un- demon consulting. <laughs> It's a lot of other demon hunters just sort of like call him up and he gets a fee. I mean, I do think Giles kind of gets like Riley, the Riley treatment where it's like, oh, there are a lot of things we could have done because there are a lot of things they could have done. Like clearly 
you know, in the, isn't it freshman, Matthew? Because Olivia's there and she's like, you're very old and it's gross. Like Buffy's like really rude about Giles having a sex life when like, all right, relax. Um, not like she walked in on them having sex. Um, sorry, sorry, nubile 19. Like, Jesus Christ, give somebody a break. (laughs) Um, and I do think we could have gotten more of like, because Giles is kind of hurt by that. And he does flounder. And then in a new man, he shines. I do love that episode, especially when we revisited it for the podcast. I was like, wow, this is actually a really good episode of season four that kind of gets overlooked mm-hmm. in the realm of like great Buffy episodes. Um, and I would have liked more of showing depressed Giles, you know, when they have their big blow up fight in Yoko Factor, he's just drunk and goes to bed. He's like, I'm not even engaging. I'm going to bed. While yeah, he doesn't they say fight. anything mean to anybody. He no. just sort of like, yeah. He's just drunk. Um, and even his dream in Restless is the shortest of all the dreams, which makes sense because he find he figures out what's going on way before anyone else does in his dream. So, of course, it has to be cut short because they can't finish the episode with him just figuring it out. But I, I think there is a lot they could have done, which I feel like they didn't quite. And that's why in Buffy versus Dracula at the very end, Buffy... They need to give Giles a purpose. So she goes to him. She says, we need to start training again. And that's kind of how they, like, give him a purpose. And then, what is it? The next episode, yeah. The next episode, they find the magic shop owner dead. Giles buys the magic shop. Right. And then there we go. He has, like, a whole new... That's some economical storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. And they do that It really is. In two episodes, they give him so much purpose. (laughs) <laughs> oh, you know what I got for the first time this, like, just now, this latest watching of Restless? What? Is that everybody gets killed in their dream in the in the manner of which they contribute in Primeval. Yeah, Dojo. Where, uh... where Giles is the head and, and Xander's the heart, and I can't remember what Willow is, but, you know, that. Um, <laughs> and Giles gets his brain cut out, and Xander gets his heart ripped out, and I was like, oh, shit, like, how did I miss that every single time? And yet, I did. Ooh. <laughs> um... Yeah, and, anyway. you know, uh, yeah, I just I, I do wish I could have done more, but I still, I mean, Giles is always, like, a really welcome presence. I think he's definitely missed in, and while I love these seasons still, I do think he is a missed presence in season six and seven. Mm-hmm. Sure. And that was, uh, Anthony Stewart had just wanted to stay in England, right? Yeah, that was, yeah. Because yeah. I think he had a family and he wanted to, like, be with them yeah. because he spent mm-hmm. so much time in California. Yeah. yeah um well it's also funny because like they are dealing so with you know there's less childs and they don't have the library so there's like less of a need this season in general with the monsters that they encounter there's very few there's fewer times that they like consult books on things yeah. than usual yeah. i mean even the the evil that they're facing is a newly created one by maggie that they would not have any way to research the way they could research the mayor or other things and it's all kind of done now basically like willow googling stuff yeah and i mean the only time they go into a library i think is for um where the wild the thing no i mean like when they do research in a library in oh, where yeah. the wild things are, when Buffy and Riley are stuck having sex in their bedroom, um, they go to that library. And it's weird because it's like the only time they go there to research things. Don't they go into like the microfiche too? Like, <laughs> it's, Oh, microfiche. It, it's just, yeah. And I mean, we could have gotten more. I almost feel like they couldn't give us more uh, scenes in that library because I think that actually is 
the whatever was it Berkeley? I forget what college it is that they used. Whatever college yeah, I like, use, I think it's like actually the library for that college. Oh, that's interesting. As somebody who worked at the library when I was in college, that would have been uh, some fun. It would have been fun to have watched a television show film in our library. That would have been <laughs> a very good time. Uh, so what character do we want to talk about? Tara next, Matthew? Z- no, Tara's not on the list. Oh. <gasps> All right, homophobia. Jesus. Rude. <laughs> Willow is on the list. That's what we can talk about Tara. Okay, fine. A- Anya's also not on the list. Ah, also rude. Also, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about people, Anya and also her boyfriend. People Jared. in the credits get on the list. <laughs> Anya's in the credits. In season four? Isn't she in the credits at the end? Or is it the beginning of season five that she's in the credits? Beginning of season yeah, five. Yeah, I think, I think uh, it's season five they after the credits. Um, <laughs> fair. So Xander's next. <laughs> uh, I mean, I one of you already said, I do think I agree that like Xander has like an interesting arc, but... He's not that much of an outsider because he's still in every episode and still hanging out with them every episode. Yeah, it's not like they're showing classes. You know what I mean? Like, that's the part that's not around. Yeah. Aside, from, aside from Maggie's sure. class, that's the only that's one. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it's not like you don't feel yeah. that absence because, like, you're not around them, the characters, when they would be without Xander. Like, it's yeah. it's a tough one to, to put across on, on screen. And, like, clearly we don't want to see them just sitting in classrooms, like... Speak for yourself. No, okay. Yeah, no, that sounds riveting. <laughs> Nerds. Um, but I think I think Xander. Well, first of all, Xander had an amazing fashion season. Let's he just say that his sweaters were really good. Um, but also, I do like the sense that we delve more into like the economic, like Xander's kind of class background during the season. I feel like like that that's really omnipresent every time that they talk about Xander. Xander's the white working class, you guys. Let's pay more attention to him. And I... Oh my god, let's give him a New York Times column. (laughs) 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 Who did Xander vote for in the 2016 election? I was going to say, did Xander vote for Trump? Oh (laughs) my god, he would. Xander's family votes for Trump 100%. I stand by, I think Xander would be the type of woke... I put in quotes, woke male feminist who explains feminism to other women. That's what I think. Is he a Bernie bro? (laughs) Yeah, like I... Yeah, I think Xander voted for Jill Stein. Yes. (laughs) That I would... Like, I think he thinks he's too good to vote for Trump, but then is explained... Like, like, I just think he would be that... That's what I think he would be. Where, like, of course it's still a problem, but he, like, is on a high horse and is probably like, oh, no, I'm friends with lots of women. (laughs) But also, Bernie's economic message probably spoke to him because yeah. he is. Yes, exactly. As we, as I pivot us back into the <laughs> last point that, that Matthew made, economic um, anxiety. Economic. Look at Xander's economic anxiety is all over this season, you guys. Mm-hmm. I have to tell you. And like, I, I do appreciate that in a show where we don't often get an explanation for how any of them pay their bills. I do appreciate yeah. that, like. Yeah, you know, and like that's that's not even a critique because lots of shows we don't know how they pay their bills. Well, you know what I mean? And they're high schoolers when it starts out, so they pay their bills by not having bills. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like in this but, season, um, they're eighteen, nineteen, so like, right? Yeah, I don't remember even how I paid for anything at eighteen, nineteen. Like some magical combination of a part-time job and my parents. <laughs> I like, still barely just... know how I pay for things. <laughs> <laughs> I sometimes think about that. It's just like, how did I pay for things back then? Like I made twenty-five dollars a week. I don't understand. <laughs> 
Um, that's because we're old, Joe. Yes, it's true. <laughs> I was thinking how my first job I made five dollars an hour. Lord. <laughs> um, um. Go ahead. Carly, do you have anything to say about Xander? <laughs> about anything to say about Xander? Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's interesting too because the whole season he's living in his parents' basement. Yeah. Like that's the set. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, um, I did appreciate, you know, the fact that he could, they could have, I don't know. It feels like they early on in the season, they tried to be like, Ooh, he's a townie, you know? And then in the, like in the fear itself episode, the frat guys make fun of him a little bit. They kind of rag on him a bit for being, what do they call him? I can't remember. There's like a specific name. I don't remember. Um, But then they just kind of, stop referencing it like they're like oh yeah he lives in his parents basement and Anya still comes over and they have sex um and it's not a big deal (laughs) um but yeah I don't know I I always feel like Xander's just kind of there you know he hops around from job to job he bartends for an episode um but doesn't really have much other than him his relationship with Anya which I I, I do have a soft spot for if only because and I think we've talked about this before a lot of it is Anya trying to understand what a normal relationship is like a normal yeah. human relationship and a, and it's and she's kind of navigating it by like using the convention of rom-coms yeah. um so I feel like I feel like a lot of times when I think about him in this season it's all in relation to her and, this is before Anya happened. learned this is before Anya learned how to interpret everything through money and i i do sometimes their relationship is a little bit of a problem because he does talk to her like she's a child sometimes but i still am charmed by their relationship uh you know it's in is it yoko factor or primeval i can't remember which one where after it's primeval because it's after their fight she goes to him and he's like laying naked in bed and she lifts up the covers and she's like well they're never gonna hire you naked and he's like my friends hate me and she's like oh, so they think you're useless and a failure. Who cares? And, like, gets mm-hmm. in bed with him and gives him a kiss and tells him she loves him. Like, while that's not the best way to handle it, it's just, I don't know, it's really cute, and I love Anya. <laughs> I think that, see, I don't think Xander talks down to Anya so much as, like, he knows that she doesn't know about human things. But I also think that Xander is very much someone who's in danger of talking down to women. <laughs> That, um, but I also feel like they both are so direct with each other all the time. Like, it's almost kind of refreshing compared to some of the other relationships through, like, this season where, you know, like, Willow and Oz, meanwhile, are, you know, Oz is lying to her. And no one's saying anything, yeah. No one's saying anything. And, and, and Anya's always just like, hey, like, do you want to go have sex? <laughs> and he's like, sure. Like, they're, they, I, don't, I don't know if I necessarily saw it as him, like, treating her like a child so much as just he knows she can handle it because she has no filter and you know and then she's all just as just as carly i love that reading i that makes me you have changed my mind i just bought (laughs) everything you said (laughs) and i love that reading i don't know they they they, i just always kind of read it as she she just says whatever whatever's on her mind no filter and then he's kind of like you know, you know that that's not a normal human thing, but okay, whatever. And then they just go have sex. Like, that's kind of... <laughs> I truly wish the show had ended with them as a happy married couple. Like, I 
I would have really appreciated that. I'm still sad. I'm still really sad that she died. It's it's to this day. I don't know what you're talking about. It did end with them as a happily married couple, and I will hear no other explanation. My my fan fiction that I'm going to write, they're going to end up. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I wish that the show had ended with Anya getting her demon powers back and cursing Xander and killing him. (laughs) (laughs) No, we can't have Xander die because then all my other babies are upset and I don't want anyone upset. (laughs) All I know is that... Kill everyone. Everyone is ashes. (laughs) Anya would have helped Andrew come out of the closet in a very frank and fun way and... She would have. Right? Thank you. Ooh, maybe her, Xander, and Andrew could have been like a thruple so that Xander could be a bisexual hero. (laughs) Boy, that would be an improvement on Xander's character. A little bisexuality would have gone a long way for that guy, I'll tell you what. (laughs) Well, I feel like... Now we're getting off topic, but I feel like Xander is the straight guy (laughs) that identifies as straight, but like, could fool around with a guy. I believe that. Yeah, Yeah, 100%. yeah, Yeah. That's what he He's means. like the guy at the beginning of the Sean Cody video who's like, I've only done oh stuff God. like three times. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, let's talk about Willow. Yes. Let's. Let's. I have a lot to say about Willow. I love, I think Willow, for me, has the best journey slash arc this season. Uh, I mean, of course, I'm going to be biased because it's, you know, a queer arc. Uh, I truly think Amber Benson and Alison Hannigan have some of the best chemistry of any of the actors on the show, which is insane. Uh, They're, you know, them looking at each other in hush, the chemistry is there. Which is not... Yeah, they really were there right, kind of right from the beginning. Yeah, it's crazy that it's the case, like, literally from the start and, you know... Poor Mark Blutus and Simon Geller didn't quite <laughs> ever get... Even though, like, you know how the, the writers were so quick to kind of be like, Riley was a failure. I wonder if any of the writers would ever admit that, like, Allison... That, that Willow and Oz were never really the couple that they made them out to be. That's true. Like, Willow and Oz were just BFFs. Like, they were never, like, a really hot and heavy great couple. I don't know. No, I mean, you're right. They they really weren't. But also the requirements for a high school couple are maybe a little bit That's less true. than that, where you can get away with that, and it's not really as glaring. That's true. But yes and no. I mean, like, the main couple on the show had sex so good it took someone's soul away, so... <laughs> sure. That's a good point. <laughs> that soul-sucking sex, you know. You, you know. <laughs> That's you what know, I'm looking for. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, do they even ever imply uh, in, in season three that they sleep together? Willow yeah, it was in the finale in, in the graduation, graduation day. Oh, that's right. Because Buffy has that thing where during a finale, they always have to have a couple sleep together and say they love each other. That's right. I forgot about over. that. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I blocked it out because it was so sad after Willow and Xander were like smooching and then they broke it. They, don't they break up for a little bit? When, is the, when does that happen? I'm getting my seasons mixed up. Oh, oh, oh <laughs> when it's, they break up after he walks in on them her and Xander kissing. Yeah. 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 It's weird that in season five that that couple is Spike and Joel Grey, but like, you know what? It, you know, do what you <laughs> to do. In the finale? Yes. Yeah. There's a lot of, st- there's a lot of stress going on. He doesn't know. Doc, Doc is there and willing. And just happened. That reminds me of like, I've you seen know, that like, that episode, like people used to do it with Buffy and other shows all the time and community made fun, community made fun of it where people would make like, videos of couples on 
on TV shows, oh, such yeah. as like Sarah McLaughlin. Yeah. Her, <laughs> yeah. Like, what's her face? The one who's saying, the one who plays piano and did Love Song. Sarah Bareilles. Sarah Bareilles. <laughs> Sarah's McLaughlin and Borellis. Yeah. That's why I think I said Sarah McLaughlin when I meant Sarah Borellis and I was trying to say Sarah Borellis. But yeah. I was like Lady Gaga? I would, love, I would love a Spike Doc look at, longingly looking at each other cut of a video like that. Um, so... But back to Willow and Oz though. Yes. <laughs> I, but I don't think I don't think before Oz leaves then, I mean they sleep together in, on graduation day but I don't think before he leaves, they don't do, do they? Or like, I think there's a shot of them in bed in right before he leaves. And um, yeah, is it wild at heart? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and we talked about it in wild at heart because oh, actually, no, I'm sorry. What I'm thinking about is in new moon rising when he comes back. And mm-hmm. I, feel, I actually felt like their conversation in bed was like the most intimate they had ever actually looked as a couple and then he kind of insinuates, oh, he says to her, he was like, like, she's like, do you want to get some coffee? And he's basically like, how about we get some sex? And she's like, no. Yeah, because she's <laughs> like, like I take the less confusing waffles, please. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, and yeah, I said that too. I remember we were talking about that. In New Moon Rising, like, some of their best chemistry is them as former lovers who care about each other but aren't in love with each other. Mm-hmm. I can't believe I just said lovers. Ugh. Like former, you know what I mean. <laughs> Lava. Exes. Yeah. Um, so also, I just want to point something out about when Willow um, finally becomes queer in New Moon Rising, when she kind of accepts her queerness. When I was in college, we had a saying about freshman year people coming out. I don't know if anyone else had the saying. We called it gay by May. Oh, <laughs> that's and cool. New Moon Rising aired on May 2nd. It was the first week in May. (laughs) (laughs) So Willow was gay by May. That's amazing. (laughs) I I didn't have that expression in my college, but I definitely have heard it before. (laughs) Yeah. I believe mine was gay by six years later, so I think that's what I adhered to. (laughs) Gay by six years years after our May graduation. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think this is a good season for Willow. I think I like her haircut. I like her little outfit choices. Um, and she has a huge coming to uh, coming into her own moment. It's I think it's all good Willow stuff. Well, and they really, I think, you know, it's kind of the natural progression because we talked about how Willow was neglected in two and then yeah. they kind of came on board with like giving her some arcs in three mm-hmm. and then four kind of seems Willow dominant for the first time almost because... Yeah. Mm-hmm. As we'll talk, like, Buffy does a lot of relationship work, but she doesn't have so much of, like, a personal arc, which in Five, the way that they give Giles his thing is also becomes, like, a Buffy searching for her slayerness thing. Yeah. They kind of course correct right away because Willow dominates season four totally. I always thought it was significant that the season four DVD box was Willow and Buffy together. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Normally they would have the, like, the tableau where it's, like, Buffy-centered and then, like, two sort of you know, season-specific characters were kind of muted colors on the side. I remember season three was, like, her and, like, Angel and Faith, Faith kind of, yeah. to yeah. the side. Um, but season four, it was just, like, Buffy, Willow, like, almost as equals. It was kind yeah. of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And the gentlemen around them. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, I, I feel like I want to say more about Willow and Tara, but I really don't have much more to say, I don't think, about them. 
Well, let's jump to Buffy. Okay. Do we think Buffy has a really clear arc this season? What is? I mean, I know like it's with Riley, but apart from Riley, like I don't know if Buffy, she doesn't have Joyce there as much to like play off of. She doesn't have a faith to play off of except for two episodes. I think that Sarah Michelle Gellar does a lot of, there's a lot of great episodes where she's doing good work, but I don't know if Buffy has as clear of an arc as she does in other seasons. It's pretty reactive. The initiative sort of happens and then she has to react to that. And, you know, Faith coming back, Riley relationship stuff, it all seems the gentleman, that kind of thing. It all feels like she is reacting to things where it's not necessarily this sort of, strong current bringing her from like one beginning point to an end point. I'm not sure how different she is in like, she's different from, you know, the freshman to restless, but it's tough to sort of draw a specific through line. Right. Well, you know, it's interesting that you talk about her being reactive. Cause I also think about that in terms of the big bad, because in season three and in season five, it really feels like, yes. I mean, when you're the, the good guy, you're kind of always, behind the eight ball trying to find out what the villain's plan is. But I've always felt like in season three and five, they made more active plans to like defeat the mayor or defeat glory. Like when Willow goes into his, into the city hall to try and find the books and gets caught and all that. Or in season five, when, I mean, even going on the lamb is kind of a plan, but they, but they, they, I feel like they have more active plans and then in season four they're really just like we don't know what adam's gonna do next (laughs) like yeah yeah. true that's true i almost wonder how much that had to do with Lindsay kraus having to leave all of a sudden and then they thrust because i almost wonder if like they would have revealed that it was her and adam together working versus yes just all of a sudden this monster well and then that's a bigger theme kind of thing too where if she has to defeat maggie walsh then it becomes you know, Buffy versus her own authority figures mm-hmm. and rather than just like sort of Buffy versus this, you know, super demon where they never, they never really convince you that Adam is such a great, like after, especially coming after the mayor, it's like, nobody's, you're never really that concerned that like Buffy can't defeat him, even if they have to just do like, you know, super original Slayer Juju or whatever. It's, you're, you're pretty convinced that she's going to be able to get him. But it's see, just a matter of when. That's why I think Glory works, because I think Glory does give us that. Yeah. Like, I agree. Well, because the, the truth is, is that Buffy does not win in the fight against Glory. Yeah, yeah. It's kind mm-hmm. of like you have to do, she has to do a tradesies. She has to kill herself, you know? Yeah. Like, you can't imagine Buffy ever laying down her life to defeat Adam. Like, <laughs> like yeah, God, right? Right. <laughs> She lost a night's like, sleep from defeating If she Adam, literally like turned to the group and was like, this is the only way, guys. I have to sacrifice myself. <laughs> right. Be like, Buffy, calm down. <laughs> well, right. That's why a lot of those episodes um, don't quite land for me. You know, in the beginning of this year's Girl, we see them like in Xander's basement. She sits down on the couch and is like having a nervous breakdown. And everyone's, you know, the, I mean, everyone's acting is great, but I'm just like, in the context of Adam, this doesn't work for me. I don't... Like, one, she only had right. fought him once at that point. And two, it's like, okay, but, like, couldn't she just go fight him again? It feels like she could punch through him. Well, and Faith feels like much more of a formidable yeah. foe for her in that in those episodes just because of the emotional stakes alone. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's why I think a lot of this... The thing about season four is it has some really interesting, like, high highs, right? Where, like, 
Hush happens or the Faith two-parter happens or like Superstar happens. And it's like the creativity level sort of goes through the roof in this season. Restless, obviously. Um, And even the stuff that doesn't work, like Where the Wild Things Are, I think is a pretty crappy episode, but like it takes a big swing. And it's just sort of filled in by all of these kind of workaday initiative episodes that to me fall really flat and it makes the rest of the episodes sort of seem drab by comparison even though if you just talk about like the best episodes like you know something blue is really creative a new man is really creative you know what's interesting too is that i feel like in all the episodes you bring up is that season four has a negative reputation for a lot of reasons but one of the things that has a that it has a negative reputation about is the feeling that every episode is a one-off yeah. Or that they do too many, like, right. standalones. But I think that they're, uh, the thing is that, like, you can't just judge a standalone for being a standalone. That there are so many successful standalones. And actually, it's a lot of the big arc ones that kind of fail. And that right. the standalones are really are really testaments to what you can do with 42 minutes on TV, right? Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. And so that actually leads me to this Joss quote. He says about season four, I think it was a very strong year. There were things that were difficult. The initiative, budget-wise, and figuring out motivation-wise, you're dealing with a lot of people who aren't your core group. Ultimately, my heart is always with my core group, so it was sort of tricky trying to get the feeling of a huge government conspiracy when we have a shrub and people are are saying, we're going to patrol past the shrub. Um, And then he goes on to say, like, we're all redefining who we are, sort of falling apart. We're doing what you're supposed to do in the first year of college, experimenting. I think some of the best single episodes we've done were in the fourth season, and we ended so bizarrely, I was basically sitting down to write a 40-minute tone poem. Which, yeah. I mean, I feel like that kind of sums it up. I feel like he's giving it a little bit more credit than I would, but he's right. Like, they have some of the best single standalone episodes Um, and Joe, like you said, I think when we discuss where the wild, no, not, yeah, where the wild things are, which I get that and wild at heart mixed up because they both, yeah, don't have two episodes in your season that are both something with wild in them. Like, (laughs) give us a break, y'all. Um, and even that episode that isn't that great, it's still like kind of fun to watch. And we get, the thing I like about that episode is we get a lot of, um, Anya and Xander. We get a lot of like Tara and Willow and I appreciate what they're doing while the, all of them don't work for me. And you know, it's funny that you brought the, up that quote. Cause I don't know. Is that quote from the book? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's cause, cause Joss says something similar on the DVD commentary <laughs> for season four. Well, it's one of the featurettes and it's a feature about like season four and big badness and, and all that stuff. And Adam, and he says that he actually always looks back at season four fondly as like some of his favorite episodes. And I kind of do too. And I also love, I feel like season four and and we always draw the parallel to season six isn't afraid to just like be quirky. Yeah. Like I would not describe almost any episode in season five or seven as quirky, but season four is like really just leaning into the comedy and, and the, and the yeah. t- and this weird tone. And even in the music that it chooses, like it doesn't have as like, austere a soundtrack as three and five do it's really just more like little dinky noises that make everything seem funny (laughs) yeah it definitely it it veers down more sort of quirky avenues definitely and i think part of that is season five 
is such a you know there is one story and it is going and you are either on that story or you're not and i think because season four the central storyline wasn't as strong it did then lead to a lot more sort of different avenues which you know that's good for a lot of these things i really do feel like some of these episodes are real highlights and it makes that you know the season four is polarizing i think for a reason and i think that right it makes sense i think it comes down to like at Thanksgiving, are you there for the turkey or are you there for the sides? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah. speaking of Thanksgiving, I mean, even like an episode like Pangs, I forget how much I love that episode. You know, right. we get so many good episodes like that. You know, I mean, and Pangs is almost a throwaway episode, but like, when, especially when we talked about it with Jaina Spenson, it's. I mean, they, they're still doing a lot of work. Like, she was telling us about how, like, you know, Joss would be like, this is the story we're telling. This is what we're doing, moving these chess pieces. Yeah. And then, like, you know, give them room to do whatever they wanted. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, this... Like I said, even Where the Wild Things Are, which is not a great episode, I can still, like, enjoy it. And even season six, where I... And I do love that season. Not a lot of those standalone episodes are that, like, enjoyable to revisit because it's such gloom and doom. It's just yeah. once more with feeling. That's yeah. the one. That's the one you want to revisit. <laughs> Everything else is just sort of like, oh, God. I just feel so bad watching all those season six episodes. <laughs> I just feel dirty. And <laughs> yes. like, yeah. Are yeah. Um, yeah, and like, and see, I, I mean, I like season seven, but again, it's not one that has many good one-offs to revisit. And season five is the same way, but not in a bad way. I think season five has, that arc is just so good. Um, yeah. that it's like for me, usually if I revisit it, the only standalones I'll revisit are the watcher episode, the episode with Olaf, or it's like, I'm watching I, the last oh, five episodes. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good point. People really like fool for love. Also, that's one that yeah, like, people that's will go true. back to. Yeah. I, do not. I, I like it, but it's not. Yeah. Yeah. We're getting ahead of ourselves. We are. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, we talked about every character's arc, basically. Um, what else do we want to talk? Do we want to? I mean, we've already talked about Adam and Maggie and Big Bad stuff, too. Is there anything that we didn't bring up about season four that we're burning to talk about? Um, I wish I could. like how definite they were about where they were going with Dawn, that they were able to just like drop these very specific hints about it. That are very heavy handed looking back, but like watching the show, you could it's fine you're just like okay but it reminded me of being back in the fandom back in the day and how much we were just sort of read we would read into everything because like restless was so cryptic and that the that sort of fun idea of like this pre-reddit vision of being a fan where everybody didn't figure it out right away so you were sort of working through it whereas now i feel like it's no fun to be a fan in that way because like the second you feel like you've un, you know figured out a little piece of the puzzle somebody's just like yeah somebody on reddit got it all like they've got it well that's the other thing too is that i also think that there's more of like especially with the approximately seven thousand cons that happen every weekend like creators <laughs> are more apt to like be giving away things about the show yeah. yes you know, like there's more of a thirst and it's this kind of it's almost the same thing with movie culture where it used to be like you wouldn't know anything about a movie and then you would go in and then it would like be a box at a box office success for a few weeks because it would be word of mouth. But now we yeah. go in knowing like everything that's going to happen. Yeah, <laughs> that that is true. Like even and I and I loved it. But even seeing Infinity War, I was like, oh, I kind of knew every like there wasn't there weren't many big surprises 
um, because I felt like I had read almost every, even not even clicking the links, just seeing every headline. Yeah. Um, you know, and... Like, well, and that one has, like, source material to go off of. So, like, Buffy, yeah. you really, you know, you were up, you were at the mercy almost <laughs> of Joss Whedon's storytelling, where, you well, know, wherever you wanted to take it. But I remember, I think I even mentioned this the last time I was on, mm-hmm. like, people were so intrigued by the stuff that Tara was doing yeah. in Restless that they were just like, what does it all mean? She's such a, you know, she's such a big major presence in that, in Buffy's dream, especially. And, well, and- we talked about how, like, I think we, t- when I asked you, when we talked about Tara, when you were on, like that you had said that people were really on the, like Tara is secretly evil bandwagon. And it yes. wasn't until family yep. that people were convinced yep. she wasn't. Exactly. And I think part of that was, I think they were dropping these hints in a way that they wanted this, the fans to sort of not entirely be sure. Yeah. I mean, so this also goes into like even a show like Westworld. I remember the like big. Uh, did you all watch Westworld? No, yep. I haven't watched season two yet. I watched all of season one and I liked it. Um, I you're only an episode behind. You're fine. Okay, I didn't know how many episodes. Should I were. watch Westworld? Um, yeah, you're fine. Yeah, you don't need to. I don't know, Carly. Have you I don't watched like it? Shows with too many men on them. I watched it. Uh, I mean, I I love uh Candy Newton's yes. character and. Yes. Uh, She's and probably I hear my Tessa favorite. Thompson's great. Yeah, Sandy yeah. Newton as Maeve is my favorite character in season one, and yes. I just did a rewatch to kind of in preparation for season two, just to kind of refresh my memory on everything. And her character's arc is still the yeah. best of the entire. season. I mean, that scene where she's walking through the facility with the really hot doctor dude while fucking Radiohead plays is absolutely heartbreaking, um, and so well done. Yeah, but that show, like, I feel like the internet. I was like, oh, I get it. Like, I feel like so many people tweeted out their theories and theories seemed like, oh, that makes sense, you mm-hmm. know, with the flashback and whatever. Yeah. Um, it's less, it's, it's less fun. That by the time and we got to the reveal, it was like, oh, I already know this. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Do I don't know. Do we want to say our favorite episodes from the season? Top three. Oh, gosh. Oh. I mean, mine are pretty typical in that, like, so are mine. Hush and Restless are such big highlights. But to me, it's it's hush, it's restless, it's who are you? I think those are the three that really stand out to me. I think who are you is so good. I talked about this a little bit on Twitter last week when I was rewatching these episodes. Yeah. But I think it's and you can tell that that one especially is the one that Joss wrote and directed. Yes. um, Where there's such a there's such a zip to it, and I think both of the actresses do such a good job. But there's just even you know the little things I talked about. You know Giles making a fool of himself in front of the cop and that kind of thing. And it's just really smart and it feels very vital. And it reminded you that like what a great character faith was. And even when they bring her back in season seven, there's, you know, some things a little, something that was always a little bit off. I thought when they brought her back a little bit, Well, I kind of felt like in season seven that they kind of neutered her and they were like, we just need you to be on the side of good and you have no character. And we just need you to be here to kick, to kick butt. Yeah. Like, we don't, it. don't be, don't be too dangerous. Don't be too sort of risky, you know? Right. Like they were like, wicked, you've evolved. You're wicked, right. you're Boston speak and that all kind of thing. <laughs> but I feel like the, the two parter in season four was the last sort of the last great hurrah of faith on this show. Yeah. I think Angel it, used her very well. She came back and it was just basically divine secrets of the Yaya sisterhood. <laughs> well, she was like in, you know, in Angel, she was kind of more of the anti-hero. And then yeah. they were like, well, we can't have you being too antagonistic on Buffy. But right. it would just been it would have been way more satisfying if they had kept her as kind of an anti-hero that was like, you know, begrudgingly 
You know what's so funny? And I have not watched Angel, and I know Ian always gets mad at me for not watching <laughs> Angel, because every single time we talk about characters going from Buffy to Angel, they always get more complex on Angel. They do. It's true. It's absolutely true. And I, mean, I wish I had the wherewithal to get through it, but I always <laughs> just stop. It It is worth it. I really do think season one is bad. Like, I... It's not even bad in, like, Buffy. Oh, it was 97, had a rough budget. Like, it's just not good, aside from, like, four episodes. But it really is, in the end, worth it. Um, I think Cordelia is... It's insane that a character has such a good arc across two different shows. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's worth it for that. Like, I, I do think David Boreanaz does not bring much to the character. Um, but I think once they realize they needed an ensemble in season two, it, the show totally picks up. Um, but okay. that's for, that's for another podcast. Um, Wait, so what are everybody else's top three? Yeah. Um, I think mine are actually Hush, Restless, and maybe A New Man. It's a good one. Mm. Although, now, are... wait, no, maybe it's Hush. No, it's Hush, Restless, and Pangs. That's what it is. Okay. I think... Mine you go, go. Ahead, go, ahead, go. <laughs> um okay i think mine are uh hush uh pangs and who are you oh nice i do love the thanksgiving episode me too i will go with um who are you restless and the harsh light of day what that's a good one Matthew, i love harsh i light thought you didn't day. like restless yeah. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I do. <laughs> you specifically said that they're dreams, so like you don't understand the point of. I never said that. You put words in my mouth. Uh, <laughs> um. By the way, I was when I flew out of the Palm Springs airport last month. I swear to God, I saw the cheese man like boarding my flight, and I was. <laughs> I wasn't certain enough to like go approach him and be like, are you the cheese man? Because then that's how I get thrown off the airplane. So like, I didn't want that to happen, but like, Oh my God, I was so certain. But also it's like, you know, when you're in California, everyone is possibly that actor from that thing. Right. No, that's what I mean. So it's just like, and, and if he was the cheese man, you must get that all the time. Right. Like, right. Yeah, that's true. Or, or, or if, or, if not all the time, that that's the only thing you ever get recognized for, right? Like, you're not going to get recognized for other things if you're that guy. You, that's the only thing. <laughs> well, you're the TV expert, Joe. What else has he done? Nothing. That's what I mean. Nothing oh, yeah. that I know of. He has 129 credits on his IMDb. <laughs> <laughs> Good for him. That, Listen, actually, you're right about... It's very difficult. You're right about California, though. I once stood in line for my, like, delayed Spirit Airlines flight... To complain with Fantasia Barino. That sounds Barino. like the worst, the last circle of hell. Yeah, and Fantasia Barino was in front of me, and we both had to complain together. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. At that same airport trip, I was walking to my gate, and I, I noticed these two young little girls sort of, like, running to catch up with someone. And I thought it was their mom, but they were running after Zendaya, trying to get her autograph. <laughs> it was very cute. He was on an episode of The X-Files a year before Buffy. See? Okay, so those fans probably know him, too. I was like, Zendaya, but, oh, right, with the cheese. So, I guess we're going to grade the season now, Matthew? Overall? Yeah, That's right? hard. Well. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, here's the thing. I love this season, but I think when I grade an episode, for instance, I think of it like 
you know, did you did you successfully do what you set out to do? And I love the season, but I can I can't say that I think they successfully did what they set out to do. And but they went some interesting ways along the way. And so I would, even though it's my favorite season that I love to watch, I would probably grade it like a B plus. All right, that's fair. That's more than fair, Matthew. And I would probably say that if you look at my grades of the episodes over the season, it would add up to more than a B plus because I think they successfully did certain things in the episodes. But overall, if you told me that you wanted to have a college freshman season of Buffy and these are the themes you want to explore, I don't think it does it the best, but I personally love it. All right. I love when you explain your grades. Um, Carly, what would you grade it? Um, so... Funnily enough, when we we're just thinking about grading, I I feel like for me personally, I always look at how many episodes were really good in the season overall, as well as if they succeeded at their, you know, quote unquote mission statement, which I don't think they did. But there's so many good episodes in season four that you can just revisit over and over again and you can watch out of order and just as standalones. So I feel like for me, I give it a B just because the rewatchability aspect is a lot stronger than other seasons. Like we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Joe. Yeah. I think this is a season of, of highlights and lowlights and you're just sort of figuring out where they balance out for you. And I think for me, it's, I almost want to give it a B minus because I do feel like it takes a long time for me to really like click into the season. It really does take until pangs, but I can watch some of those like the freshman in living conditions and, and harsh light of day. And it's just sort of like, Oh, okay. Like this is, you know, this is still the Buffy that I like. So I feel like to be fair to it. And because like later seasons maybe earn that like B minus C plus, even like maybe lower than that. Um, uh, I feel like it deserves a B. A gentleman's um. B. <laughs> 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 I think that I agree with everything you just said, Joe, and I also give it a B. <laughs> um, we're all really in the realm of each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes in the I realm have. of each other would have been a good episode title from season four. <laughs> Instead of where the wild things are, it's yes. in the realm of each other. <laughs> oh my God. They were very much in each other's realms. <laughs> and where the world <laughs> For most of the episode. <laughs> that episode title is just, I think they fucking. <laughs> uh, That's why I wish that Buffy could have been on like HBO or something. Cause I, <laughs> I, the way they would have talked during where the wild things are. Oh, wow. Yeah. Good point. They would have said... And that, that spike Buffy sex from season six. Ooh, on an HBO show. That would have been, Oh yeah. It would have been basically been a porn. Night. Yeah, and if it had been made into, in, if it had been made in like at the time, there wouldn't have been any male nudity. But now you would have gotten Spike Dick. Oh yeah, Spike Dick. <laughs> Lord. <laughs> um. Okay. So thank you both for returning to our podcast. Thank you for listening, everyone. If you want to follow our podcast on Twitter, we are at SlayerFestX98. If you'd like to follow my lovely co-host, Matthew, he is at Matthew Rodriguez, one T, a G, and a Z. And if you want, oh wait, sorry. And if you want to follow, I messed it up. <laughs> I this out. And if you want to follow my, uh, my lovely co-host, Ian, you can follow him at IanXCarlos. Where can people find you, Carly? Uh, at my name on Twitter, which is Carly Lane with a C and a Y. <laughs> 
so helpful to people trying to find you. So easy. I know there's a lot of different spellings. I went to brunch uh, this morning and the waitress was also named Carly, but she spelled it differently. So we had a bonding moment, even though it wasn't the exact same spelling. <laughs> and Joe, another helpful, easy, yes. easy breezy. What is easy your... breezy? Very much so. I'm at uh, Twitter at Joe Reed, uh, J-O-E-R-E-I-D. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to season four. We're, we'll see you all later for Buffy season five. Oh my God. Bye. Bye.